Hey everybody, Joe here from the Lions Led by Donkeys podcast. If you enjoy what we do here on the show and you think it's worth your hard-earned money, you can support the show via Patreon. Just a $1 donation gets you access to bonus episodes, our Discord, and regular episodes before everybody else. If you donate at an elevated level, you get even more bonus content. A digital copy of my book, The Hooligans of Kandahar, and a sticker from our Teespring store. Our show will always be ad-free and is totally supporter-driven. We use that money to pay our bills, buy research materials that make this show possible, and support charities like the Kurdish Red Crescent, the Flint Water Fund, and the Halo Trust. Consider joining the Legion of the Old Crow today. And now back to the show. Hello, and welcome to the Lions Led by Donkeys podcast. I am Joe, and with me is Liam. Yay, Liam. Yay, Liam. Hi, Joe. Hi, Liam. I feel like I'm reading off a script already, and I'm not. Uh, I haven't had enough coffee this morning. Uh, How are you doing, bud? Oh, I'm fucking terrific, bud. (laughs) I love that when either of us answer that, we aren't sure if we'll answer saying, oh, I'm fucking great, or "I'm I'm just fucking outstanding. We, we truly holding on us, by a thread, baby. Yeah, I was about to say, not, tr- neither of us know if we're being serious or if we're just like in a pit of depression, but managed to log on to do the podcast. Oh, yeah, it's mostly a pit of depression logging on to do the pod. I mean, let's all be honest with each other. Yeah, is, is it a pit? And I'm asking this as a personal question. Is it a pit if 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 it goes on forever? <laughs> yeah, it's just a really big pit, man. Ah, uh, the pit of eternity. Yeah, uh, uh, you stare into the void and the void stares back. Uh, oh, oh, what? You're going to have depression. You're going to stare back in the void and maybe the void stares back at you, huh? Getting real deep. Let's talk about Lapel Duvide, baby. Uh, you know you know what cheers people up, Liam? Islands. Uh, you like islands, right? You've been to an island. Been to a couple islands. Yeah, I like islands. I, I have been to a few islands. I saw you on an island. Uh, yeah. I like islands in general. I... I uh, I've told Corinne this that I think I'll only ever be happy on miserable little like hunks of rock in the North Atlantic. Uh, Corinne wants to take a vacation somewhere romantic. Uh, I suggested the Svalbard Islands, uh, and I was shot down like John McCain over Vietnam. <laughs> is the Svalbard Islands the place? It's like that's where the seed vault is, or whatever. Yeah, yeah, truly. Like that's where you want to go to vacation to. <laughs> yeah, it might be fun. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. People often uh, uh, criticize me for never taking vacations, um, and I think never taking a vacation is better than going to the Doomsday Seed Vault for a vacation. No, it's interesting, man. Fair enough. I, I'm interested, but also like I just watched like a YouTube video on it. I won't go there. Nah, I want to. I want to go to the shitty remotest places on Earth. Go to Montana. Yeah, Montana's not shitty enough. Oh, man, you have high standards. Montana. I like Montana. I don't, it's, like, I don't mind. I mean, I mind. I respect the place that can elect a, a horse governor. Um, yeah. uh, you know, uh, many Visit people Svalbard. said that ho- it's the second result. <laughs> many people do not respect Montana's horse governor. I do. Uh, you know, th- this podcast also enjoys islands. And we talk about islands quite frequently uh, from Tarawa, uh, the Pitcairn Island. Everybody loves the Pitcairn Island. Uh, maybe a little too much. It's become a problem. Um. Uh. uh if, if, if that's if you haven't listened to the Pit Carn Island joke, uh, or uh, that's a that's an incest joke. Go listen to the episode. It's uh. awful. Uh, uh. And you know, people really love the island of Peleliu. Um. So much so that thousands never left it. We're talking about the Battle of Peleliu today. Uh. Isn't this the the most pointless battle in World War Two? Basically, it was just totally pointless from what I remember. Uh, uh, I won't know. I won't say all of World War II, but certainly the Pacific Theater. <laughs> uh, okay. Yeah. All right. Um, and uh, I know actually a little bit about this, right? It's the island's like six square miles. The Japanese fought to the death. Uh, and didn't some general say, "Oh, we'll we'll have it in four days," and it took like two and a half months. Right? Yeah, pretty much. Um, and it's uh. It's pretty great, uh, honestly. It's um, it, it, as because oftentimes you don't hear the U.S. being the one that did stuff like this. Um, I mean, obviously, we we already talked about um, 
uh, a few battles like uh but normally it's always like you know uh, the Pacific Front was like brutal. We were fighting over uh, small specks of dirt in the ocean, but like we kind of had to because uh, that's just the way that the battles were. So like right. when see when when some when certain battles seem pointless or whatever, it's like it's it was actually important because of this reason, or that had an air this tiny the six mile chunk of coral had an airfield or whatever. But that's not the fucking case in Pelu. Um, there's really no. Uh, anything about it. even at the time, like it wasn't publicized, mostly because, like, ooh, this looks bad. Uh, <laughs> sure. Um, now, uh, for one of the sources I used for this uh, was Robert Lecky's uh, "With the Old Breed," um, or sorry, a helmet for my pillow, and uh, Eugene Sledge's book "With the Old Breed." Uh, they were also used to make the HBO series The Pacific, which is fucking outstanding. And I watched it while I, writ this, uh, while I wrote this episode. Um, and they have uh, an entire episode dedicated to the Battle of Peleliu. And it is fucking awful. Uh, uh, like It's, it's the, the perfect piece of, of media about it, quite honestly. Um, I have a lot of complaints about Band of Brothers, which, I mean, we did a bonus episode about that forever ago. Mm -hmm. uh, and the the Pacific is better in literally every possible way. Uh, if you don't have HBO, find a way to pirate it. It's great. <laughs> uh, also, read those books. They're fucking uh, amazing. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, Hang on. But, I, I, I hate to uh, breaking news you, but uh, I think... Uh, I wouldn't bother since this episode doesn't come out for weeks. Oh, never mind. I, I thought Pat Buchanan had died. I was really excited. He's not dead? No, he's not dead. I thought he had died. Huh. They were posting about him on Twitter, and I thought, oh, is this finally it? You know, has he finally kicked the bucket? I was really excited, man. Uh, can't be that lucky. The people we hate the worst live no, forever. No, they live forever and fucking, um, the people we, like, die at 40. Yep. I got six more years. Uh <laughs> yeah, well, all right. Welcome welcome to, uh, oh, Lies Live My Donkeys. Uh, I'm Liam, the only host still alive. Yep. Uh, <laughs> yep. That's right. Uh, now, Peleliu Island is a tiny little speck of rocks and coral measuring six miles long and two miles wide. Um, and today, it makes up part of the Pacific nation of Palau. However, before that, Palau and the other hundred or so islands that make it up uh, had something about a history of hot, being a hot potato for regional colonialism. It was settled for the first time around the third or second millennia. Nobody's really entirely sure when. Uh, by people who probably came from Indonesia and the Philippines. And it, it stayed that way until about the 1500s when the Spanish showed up, which is never a good sign. You never want the Spanish. Yeah, you never want the Spaniards. Yeah. Uh, now, the, at the time, this is just during Magellan's around the world voyage, and he mapped it. But that meant they were eventually going to come back. And they did about 200 years later. It was eventually made part of the Spanish East Indies. And 100 years after that, it was sold to the Germans in 1899. Um, the Germans were only able to hold on to it for a little while because, you know, World War I happened. Uh, and, you know, the Pacific Theater of World War I is often not talked about. One day we'll, we'll cover more of that. That would be a show. lot of fun. I'd like to. Yeah. Uh, the know, Empire of Japan showed up and stole it. Uh, and they annexed it in 1914. And this is eventually made official uh, by the ever so useful and a uh, great organization, the League of Nations, um, and then it was Japan's. Now, um, Japan, uh, I, don't, I don't really want to say it was not terrible to Palau because it's the empire of Japan, um, but in comparison, they were worse in other places, I will say. Uh, they colonized parts of it, mostly left it alone because Palau is a hard place to really live in. Um, sure. it's, it's, it's certainly a place if you're not a native and you don't know a certain way of life, you're going to have a rough time. Sure, um, sure. for the sake of what we're talking about here on the episode, uh, Peleliu and a few other uh, islands were turned into air bases, uh, because that's just how Japan's colonialism generally worked in this area because they had plans to take over most of the islands in the All Pacific for All quite a while. Yeah. Right. It was, it was a thing that they wanted to do. Um, and uh, like they would eventually use these airstrips to support their attack on the Philippines in 1941 after Pearl Harbor and uh, the U.S. is entering World War II. Uh, and you know, that was how things kind of went as the Empire of Japan steamrolled their way through the Allies in the early stages of the war in the Pacific. However, this is, we're going to rejoin the story all the way in 1944. Uh, and things are not looking so great for the Empire of Japan. 
good. Uh, oh, oh, no. Oh, that's so sad is how I feel about that. Uh, yeah, World War II is one of those where I'm openly like, yeah, like, listen, I fucking hate nation states, but if I'm stuck in one, you know. It's always very weird whenever you're reading uh, someone like Michael Tracy, for instance, and he's talking about like how the U.S. forced Japan into uh, to to attack the U.S. Like, oh yeah, well, how, why did the U.S. restrict uh, oil to Japan? Huh? Maybe go listen to the three part series on fucking Nam King. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you if, fucking if, pieces of shit. I hate those fucking people, man. It's always that smarmy pseudo intellectualism bullshit nonsense. It's just like, why won't you debate me? It's like because you're not arguing in good faith, and you're a terrible person, and you believe that uh, Kamala Harris trucked you or whatever. There, there, there's a uh, a good policy that we've adopted on the show, and that is not to uh, debate people like that because no, it's don't a, ever uh, believe your opponents are engaging in good faith. Yeah, you you can't be in that situation. Like if you have that argument, you're either an absolutely batshit uh, guy with a substack, or you're a member of like a Japanese nationalist party. Like, like right. there's no there's no other version of that guy. Maxine Waters, not Kamala Harris. My bad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I, you know what? I like Harris's uh, possible. I, I like Harris's uh, chances in that fight. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. A little bit more spry than Maxine Waters. Uh, you know what? I, I would pay f- to see that uh, for charity. I'm not sure what I have to say here to make this not a crime. Anyway. Um, <laughs> now, in, by 1944, Japan had been uh, solidly put on their back foot for months uh, because their stupid plan of bleeding the U.S. and negotiating an end to the war was even more unrealistic than it had been in the beginning of the whole thing because that plan was never going to fucking work. Uh, even the like Admiral Yamamoto's like, that's a that's a bad idea. We shouldn't do that. Oh well, I guess we're doing it anyway. Womp womp. Uh, the war was a horrific grind fest of island hopping. Uh, I I think. That's that's pretty well known. Uh, oftentimes, people say like people don't know how awful this front was, but that's pretty does, fucking bad. Yeah, yeah, that does seem to be one of the the constants whenever you're talking about the Pacific campaign. Uh, I mean, I think that's also why when they made HBO's Pacific, they couldn't kind of put rose tinted glasses on it like they did in the European theater. Like right. it's one of my biggest complaints about Band of Brothers. It's like it looks like a piece of propaganda. Yeah. Oh, it's yeah. too clean, uh, but it, it also has to do with like uh, sourcing materials. Like, oh yeah, because because uh, even Ambrose wasn't a historian; right. he was just a right. fanboy of Dick Winters. <laughs> right, right. No, I th- I've I've said the same thing about Band of Brothers, and I think it's probably my favorite television show ever made. I I do think as a, as like okay as like historical record, and I'm not saying that either of those should be viewed as historical record. Obviously, I I thought the Pacific was much more sort of like what war is probably actually closer to than just like Dick winners and friends. Yeah, not to mention like they got so many things just basically wrong with band yes. of like, how did they fuck up the, I, the uh, knowing that one of the guys they said was dead, was still alive. Yeah. <laughs> well, he's dead to Dick winners. So yeah, he had been going to uh, um, easy company reunions for years he i mean he died uh i think in the 60s or the 70s but he was, he was dead by the time they were making the show right. but like the, like uh, steven ambrose's research just is like so uh mr winners is uh he dead yeah all right credit boys i mean that, that's what i think this is the fundamental difference and obviously this has nothing to do with this episode but i don't care um the fundamental difference you see in how um war is portrayed is uh, and this is also a gross oversimplification, I will admit, is that one of the main sources for Band of Brothers is Dick Winters. And Dick Winters saw himself as kind of like uh, this superhero. He was a Dick Winters is a huge fan of Dick Winters. And not to mention, he was a field grade officer. So he kind of had this glory and honor thing uh, imbued into his very life for decades at that point while virtually all the sources for the pacific are grunts um like robert eugene sledge yeah the the guys who were like i think they were both fucking privates i i I think one of them retired as a corporal because the marines were fucking weird back then um 
And you can't say that like, oh, the attitude's different. Like they're Marines. It's the closest thing to a cult the U.S. government has. <laughs> like it's just two completely different products. Uh, that's why I thought. Uh, uh, but yeah, like I, like I said, they did a really good job of showing how awful everything was, specifically with uh, Peleliu. I just watched that episode yesterday. It's pretty good. Uh, but yeah, like that's one thing that uh, you know, for all of the faults the U.S. education system has, it's, we're, everyone's pretty pretty well aware of how awful the Pacific Front was. Um, but you know, congratulations, even, you have trench foot. <laughs> congratulations, you are uh, you have heat stroke, and you probably have some and intense diphtheria. Yeah, and diphtheria. Uh, uh, and some jungle based mosquito illness. Um, the dick jungle. Now. Uh, it, but even though the Japan was on the back foot and was their terminal in terminal decline, the tactics and the realities of the front still required the U.S. to uh, feed thousands of soldiers and Marines into a samurai-powered wood chipper in order to close it out. Right? Mm-hmm, sure. uh, I mean, the U.S. had gotten better at island hopping, especially since our last visit to this topic yeah, it's with now the Battle of Right. Um, however, there's only so much you can do like you only can be so good at amphibious landings when one of the most basic tactics is we're going to run directly into the barrels of machine guns right um but by Hide 19- in jungle is a legitimate tactic yeah like uh, uh you can only evolve so much when everyone knows where you're attacking from like you really can't keep anybody guessing like well we have one right. beach here i wonder where they're coming if only you know? we had agent orange <laughs> oh god uh they did have napalm uh they used a lot of fucking napalm in the pacific uh i mean it was it, they didn't use it specifically for destroying plants mostly because of caves and tunnels and shit uh but it also worked for both things um but uh you know the u.s is planning the invasion of the marianas islands and from there planning their eventual invasion of the japanese homeland which of course we know never happened However, that led to a lot of debate within the ranks of U.S. commanders and politicians about just how exactly one would actually do such a thing. Like an invasion of the Japanese homeland would be the largest military operation the United States would ever conduct, uh, which is why they chose not to do it. Uh, But this generally broke down into two camps, one led by Chester Nimitz, overall fleet commander of the Pacific, and famed dickhead asshole General Douglas MacArthur. Uh, the, the the closest that any generals ever come to cooing the president, General Douglas MacArthur. <laughs> uh, yeah, or the Joint Chiefs uh, during the the Bay of Pigs fiasco. Yeah, but they listened. No, no the Cuban Missile Crisis, not the Bay of Pigs. Yeah, but like uh, the I think the main like the main difference is I think if if Douglas MacArthur was not fired, it would have led to something significantly more serious. Oh yeah, no, I'll buy that. Yeah. Um. I firmly believe Robert F. Kennedy basically gathered around the Joint Chiefs, produced a pistol, and said, any of you motherfuckers leave this room and say anything, uh, you know, so on and so forth. I mean, I think J- JFK was like, listen, you know what I do in my free time. If you don't back down, I will fuck every single one of your wives. Every single like, one. Every single one. Every single like, one. Everybody like, in here. Everybody I'll fuck, I'll fuck your it. wives. I'll fuck He'll your wives. It. I'll fuck we, your sisters. We have to back I'll down. Fuck He'll do it. I'll, I'll fuck your mom. <laughs> Uh, no, Nimitz uh, was carrying his uh, offensive to the North Pacific while MacArthur was carrying his to the South. And now due to the split and honestly because of their personalities, um, the two of them had very different plans about how the the preparation for the eventual invasion of the Japanese home islands should be set up. Uh, Nimitz suggested that Okinawa and Taiwan were primary targets for the next campaign. Uh, he thought that they would serve as good staging areas for the home island uh, campaign. though. Even though that um, he, he also believed that American forces needed to invade mainland China, uh, mm-hmm. uh, he he wanted to uh, support right. uh, Sheck's uh, national army, uh, which was doing the majority of the heavy lifting fighting the Japanese in China, and they were not doing so great at it. Um, this plan is kind of nuts because obviously the amount of people you would need to facilitate an invasion of mainland China is incredible and uh the u.s is like what no absolutely not uh, no i will that. i will say this was more this made more sense than um macarthur's eventual uh bloodlust for china where he believed that like look it, eventually japan is going to pull out of china uh to defend the home islands we're gonna have sure. to fight those soldiers 
eventually. We might as well fight them in China because it would be easier to fight them in China than on the home islands, which doesn't make it any less absurd, but it does make more sense, right? Um, Now, MacArthur, to the surprise of nobody, thought the next stepping stone should be the Philippines because famously he lost the Philippines to Japan and he had been thinking about them ever since. Uh, From there, the US would invade Okinawa and then the home islands. Now, despite the Philippines not really being that important in the overall plan, uh, and Mar- MacArthur absolutely just wanting revenge for the time that he looked like shit. Uh, hey, man, we invaded Iraq and our shitty air pretenses the second time, you know? It's, it's... Well, and remember, at the time, the Philippines was a U.S. colony. So, like, true. there's true, also true. a lot of politics behind it. Uh, President uh, FDR went with MacArthur's plan, but almost certainly because it didn't involve a fucking invasion of China. But uh, it, Nimitz really shot for the moon on that one. But we should also point out that in Nimitz's plan, he wanted to ignore the Philippines completely, which really did not work for politicians back home. Um, it was a huge PR thing that like the, the Japanese had taken a U.S. colony rather than just some like Wake Island or whatever. Like the Philippines was super important to the American uh, experience at the time. Uh, and they had been wanting to retake the islands ever since they lost them. This is good for morale, PR, uh, political gain. I mean, uh, of course, strategically, it's fine. Uh, not totally necessary, but sure. Uh, but uh, FDR almost certainly would the plan because he wanted to recapture the Philippines. And remember, MacArthur had quite a bit of, uh, of spotlight at the time. Sure. So, yeah. Now, MacArthur's plan called for an invasion of Palau, which was... A large chain of islands, but you wouldn't have to invade every single one. You're not going to have to invade 100 different islands. Now, there's only a couple islands the J- uh, Japanese had uh, fortified, it, specifically the ones with airfields, because just like the Japanese had previously done, he believed that he could use these airfields to uh, support his attack on the Philippines. And if you didn't take them out, uh, the Japanese would then use them to attack you while you're attacking the Philippines. You would have to take them. Now, an operation like Peleliu. And the Palau uh, uh, invasion in general was called Operation Stalemate. Um, that's not inspiring confidence. That's what I'm saying. Honestly, ended up being prophetic. <laughs> Imagine sitting down oh, in the briefing boy. room and someone be like, boy. boys, got an idea. Operation Stalemate. Like sitting in the back of the room, you slowly raise your hand like, how about Operation Sun- Sudden Bloodless Victory? Um can we, can we, can we no, do that? No, worse, worse, worse. Keep going. And we're all going to stay here until we have the shittiest name we can think of. Operation Iraqi Freedom. Good, but you're a bit early. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> now, you know, once upon a time, the U.S. was good at naming military operations. Operation Overlord, that fucking slaps. That is a deep, and Operation uh, Downfall. Yeah, good. Uh, I mean, not the content of the operation, Oper- but the name. Oper- operation Just Cause is at least funny. It it, it is ironic. Uh, it, it sounds like uh, something that someone would name uh, something sarcastic, which of course they eventually did with a video uh, game series. It. Yeah, but yeah, everything's oh, been man, downhill just since. Is so much fun. Yeah, everything is parachutes. It's great or gliders, whatever. Um. You ever heard of Operation Unthinkable? That's my favorite. Yeah, that's when uh, they're going to rearm the fucking the rearm the Nazis against the uh, against the Soviets. Yeah, like you can say a lot about Winston Churchill, all of it bad, uh, but you you can't say he wasn't cartoonishly insane to the point he was funny sometimes. Um, oh yeah. Now, despite the name, nobody actually saw the invasion of Peleliu as being a stalemate. The main task of securing the island was given to the 1st Marine Division, a unit that had previously fought at Guadalcanal in New Britain. So they were, they were hard fucking dudes. Like These guys were island-hopping veterans. Uh, they were commanded by Will, uh, General William Rupertus, which is a man whose name sounds vaguely like if a stuffed teddy pair got knighted. Uh, there was, <laughs> uh, and unfortunately, while the, the Marines within the unit may have been very, very good at their job, Rupertus was not. Um, I, I, I don't know if there's like a, a thing about him in the Marine Corps. I don't know a lot of the Marines mythos uh, because, you know, Guadalcanal is um, kind of obviously held up quite high in their in their uh, branch history. I don't know if Rupertus is. I sincerely hope he isn't for reasons that you'll find out. Um, 
they were one of the Pacific Theater's most seasoned units. And there were also army units involved, which most people don't think of when you think of the Pacific campaign, uh, because they're also taking Anguar Island, uh, which is uh, very close to Peleliu. There's another airstrip there that they wanted to secure. Uh, the army units were mostly newer soldiers. I guess they had they'd taken their time, having apparently got lost on their way to Europe. Uh, the plan was for the Marines to uh, w- would do most of the heavy lifting. People knew Peleliu was going to be the harder island to take, so it was given to the Marines. Uh, but the soldiers and another Marine unit would act as reinforcements should anything go wrong on Peleliu. The, the Army's mission to take Anguar Island was secondary. It would only be launched once it was clear that Peleliu was fine. Um, but really what the what the the real point was was to keep them separated because Rupertus was staunchly against the use of any soldiers to support his Marines because he didn't want to share glory with the U.S. Army in case anybody uh, thought that this kind of shit died out in the U.S. military before the 1940s. You'd be wrong. Uh, come on, man. Yeah, it's pretty lame. And it's uh, it's going to be... Re- the the repercussions of his very very stupid choices will uh will be a a, th- a list of a thousand casualties so good job dude uh now command told the marines they had nothing to worry about and the battle would take at most 5 days but probably 3 however the officers who would actually be leading the mission weren't so sure about that yeah i also would not be so sure about that now remember, yeah, these guys were not dumb. I mean, well, they're, they are. They're Marines. Sorry, Marines, I have to. Uh, but they had seen some shit to know how to take island- that. You don't need to take that from a tanker who got demoted. <laughs> Twice. Uh, <laughs> uh, but you, uh, it, it, these guys had seen enough shit to know, like, this seems bad. They knew one of the first rules of an ion hopping campaign in an amphibious landing is you outnumber the enemy at minimum three to one. The Marines were landing on paper, 28,000 men, and they knew the Japanese had at least 10,000. And that looks good on paper. But Marine legend Chesty Polar uh, kind of pointed out to people that those numbers, that 3 to 1 ratio, are supposed to be fighting men, frontline grunts. And they were counting thousands and thousands of people who were not, like cooks, supply dudes, artillery. Oh, no. There's actually only 9,000 riflemen oh, that would be landing on the bad. island. Yeah. Yeah, it's not uh, good. I, I will say uh, my favorite thing about Chesty Buller is that when he, when the a flamethrower was demonstrated to him for the first time, he is to have quoted, I don't know if this is uh, apocryphal or not, but where do you put the bayonet? I've heard that story too, and it is the most Chesty Buller thing he could have said. Also, I love the idea his nickname was Chesty. I'm not going to look into why that's the case. I'm just going to assume everybody's like, that guy has nice tits. <laughs> Joe, Chesty Puller was what you might call a baddie. Yeah, uh, he was uh, what the kids would call thick with two C's. Yeah. I, was, I don't think you have it five Navy crosses, Joe. It's true. I do not. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, like he pointed all this out like, and you know his very old timey uh, hard man voice, and uh, MacArthur blew off Polar's worries uh, because MacArthur is a huge dickhead and also apparently bad at math. Yeah, MacArthur's a fucking asshole. It turned out the Marines were going to need the, all those extra men because the Japanese soldiers on the island had spent the last several years turning all six miles into Peleliu into a goddamn fortress. There had been a foundational change in the Japanese defensive tactics at the time. This change, as ordered by Hideki Tojo, was called Fukaku. It discarded away the idea of actually winning battles against the United States, which, oh, sure, I mean, oftentimes, especially like Tarawa and others, and uh, they're like, oh, they fought to the death. Well, yeah, of course they did. They, they're, you're on an island. You're not exactly going to retreat. There's, There's nowhere else to go, man. <laughs> it's fight to the death or drown, and I ain't drowning. Yeah, uh, but with the idea of Fukaku, it's like, we're losing the the battles. It's fine. Uh, These islands are meant to be lost. They're not the home islands. Who cares? Sure. The idea was... We got tons of islands. Don't worry about it. They really did. Uh, The idea was is to adopt defense and depth tactics across the entirety of every island they controlled. How uh, And the goal was is to get the American invasion forces onto the island and grind them into nothing. The idea was to drag the U.S. into a war of attrition that caused losses so awful that the government would see how many men 
where they were losing to tiny specks of dirt that nobody had ever heard of. And then like the idea of invading the home islands were a nightmare. So they'd settle for negotiating peace, which counterpoint, counterpoint, counterpoint. He was kind of right though. Right. Come, Not, come find out where I, where I, come find out why our healthcare isn't free. <laughs> but I, I'm not. I'm not. You do not, in fact, have to hand it to Hideki Tojo. I'm not, I'm not handing it to Tojo. However, man. however, he was kind of right. The idea of uh, invading the home islands was a nightmare to the U.S., so they didn't do it. However, no, they, they didn't. <laughs> would you care to however, explain to the assembled crowd how the United States government managed to avoid an, an amphibious invasion of Japan, Joe? Yeah, I, I would like to see like Tojo, but like, well, that's not what I meant. Monkey's uh, <laughs> paw curls. Fat boy goes off in the distance. Monkey paws curls. Does uh, Tojo's like? Does anybody else taste burning? What's, what's happening? <laughs> now, the Japanese would use natural features to their advantage by constructing pillboxes and bunkers amid coral ridges and rocky outcroppings. They would all. The, the island also had a. A natural cave system under mountains. Uh, the, the term mountains is used often. Uh, if you, they're only like 500 feet high, those big hills. Uh, but there, there was a natural tunnel system under the island, and they expanded it. Uh, and these were so large, they could literally hide a thousand soldiers in them at a time. Fucking nuts. Uh, which, of course, had become a huge problem. Uh, like famously in uh, HBO specific, uh, a guy goes into a tunnel to take a shit in a very, very secured part of the island only to be charged by a guy with a samurai sword. <laughs> <laughs> uh, which is a true thing. That happened. Uh, it, it's in, I believe it's in Sledge's book. Um, now, Peleliu is part of what the Japanese called the absolute defense zone or the last ditch protective cordon guarding the home islands. Uh, which meant that under those orders that not a single position could be abandoned. Um, every position was uh, to be fought over to the death. Uh, nothing was to be like every single inch was a last stand. Right. Okay. Now, um, General Sade Inoue, a name I'm sure I completely nailed, was, oh, sure uh, was overall commander fine. of the, uh, the Palau defense. But Pelu itself was on the command of Colonel Kinio Nakagawa because you know, there's, again, a hundred fucking islands. One guy can't command all of us. Um, but Nakagawa knew what kind of mission he got when he got, when he got orders to defend Pelu because when he left, he told his wife, bye, I'll never be seeing you again. Later, dude. Have a good, have, marry a good man, have good children. I will see you later. I'm going to go die in a tunnel. Bye! Bye! Uh, and, and Nakagawa was... A veteran of Nanking. So, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. The area where the Marines were landing in the southwest was mostly open uh, and only covered in some like shrubbery, you know, a nice, a nice shrubbery. Uh, But uh, the rest of the island was kind of a nightmare. Um, It was, train was awful. Uh, But uh, Nakagawa knew that defending the beachhead uh, was largely pointless because it was so open. He knew that they would lose it quite quickly. However, that didn't mean shit. It didn't mean he wasn't going to defend it because every inch was to be a, a fortress. So he sent one of his least experienced units down to hold the beach and do as much damage as they possibly could, which is kind of incredible when you see exactly uh, how well they did at that when you realize that they were his worst soldiers. Um, the key to his entire defense was the, oh boy, Umerbrogol Mountains. <laughs> Uh, wow, they was, were, like I said, bad. it was good. I nailed it. Uh, I, I speak fluent Peleluan. Um, it's not a language. Uh, Jesus Christ, man. <laughs> but like the, I use the term mountains very loosely here because, like I said, the highest one was only 500 feet. Um, they were, but all of these mountains, uh, hills, whatever you want to call them, were incredibly rugged, uh, super rough. Everything is covered in coral. Um, really thick brush. It, 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 there's crisscrossing ravines, draws, and a metric shit ton of natural cave systems. The terrain is a nightmare. Uh, so even though things are not very high, realistically, put a couple, put a couple thousand feet of uh, altitude on it, and I don't know if it'd make it any worse. Right. Uh, it's just it's not a good place to fight a battle. 
And because the Japanese controlled the only high spot on the island, uh, they could see the entire island from the second the Marines landed. Uh, now, the, the Japanese had spent a lot of time expanding that cave system. They blew out so much space under the mountains that they could, like, all of their command structure was underground. Um, and they also had most of their artillery hidden within it. So that meant when the Navy conducted its normal pre-invasion island-blinking bombardment with naval guns and bombers, it really didn't do anything. Like, uh, and on top of that, when the U.S. did aerial recon on the island, they couldn't see shit. Everything was underground. And the true nightmare terrain of the island, that being the coral mountains and hills, were all covered with jungle before the bombardment. So recon pilots simply didn't see it. They actually reported them as like nice rolling green hills. Oh, oh. The Americans had no idea what they were walking into, and the Japanese knew it. They knew what they were doing. So when the Navy did roll up and do their bombardment, their their pre-show game, uh, uh, (laughs) not a single Japanese gun fired back because like the Japanese knew like they have no idea that we're in these caves. They have no idea what we have. So they didn't fire a single counter battery and they could have probably damaged quite a few ships because, you know, they, they got quite close to do this, but they didn't want to give anything away. This led the Americans to believe that their bombardment had been so perfect that all Japanese artillery had been eliminated. Admiral Jesse Oldendorf, who was watching the islands get shelled via binoculars, joked that he was going to run out of targets soon. Now, Chesty Puller's unit landed on the uh, left flank of the beach to protect another unit that was uh, at the center that was assigned to push inland and capture the airfield, which was, the, of course, the main goal here. Other units landed across the beach. Everybody landed around 8 32 a.m. on September 15th, 1944. Uh, And to their credit, only two minutes behind schedule, which is, I think, the most on time any unit's ever been in the history of this show. Congratulations, boys. The first wave was made up of armored amphibious tractors or LVATs. Uh, They were armed with 75 millimeter cannons and flamethrowers. And uh, obviously, their mission was quite obvious uh, why they went first. After they landed, the landing craft hit the beaches, the same kind of LVTs that we had talked about during Battle of Tarawa. An absolutely terrible design. It's very weird that the the Marines kept using these. Though, to be fair, this time nobody got stuck on any coral uh, or low tides because I guess somebody actually decided to look up the tidal map this time around. Now, and one of the only times during this battle where the Marines would get lucky... A massive minefield that had been laid by the Japanese, which would have wreaked fucking havoc on them, had been taken out by the naval bombardment. And these were not just regular landmines, but actually repurposed aircraft bombs, which would have just liquefied the LVTs and everybody on the beach. But that's the last time that the Marines will be lucky here. When the landing craft crawled onto the beaches and got within range of the Japanese guns, so far, they had not been shooting. But they waited for them to get really, really close, and then they opened fire. Um, the beach was immediately turned into a fucking charnel house. Within just 10 minutes, 60 landing craft were destroyed, and hundreds of men had been turned into a beach brand chunky salsa. Salsa sauce. Yeah. sauce, yeah. Like, uh, Chesty Puller's vehicle took a direct hit, which would have killed him immediately, uh, but the shell did not explode. Uh, though it did smash his entire communication section, which is bad when you're the commander of a beach. Um, and that I mean, he couldn't talk to anybody anymore. Uh, on the beaches, natural obstacles forced the LVTs to have to bunch together, which meant hitting them as easy as uh, shooting Marines in an LVT, I suppose. So many of the landing crafts have been knocked out on the beach, whether it like completely destroyed or piling up. Yeah. yeah, they created a traffic jam of burning wrecks yeah, and corpses. Yeah. Uh, so the, the the oncoming waves of Marines had to ditch their landing craft. And because of the design, they literally have to throw themselves over nope, the side. Nope, don't want that. And then try running ashore. And running did work slightly better than the slow-moving vehicles until they ran into something that, for some reason, nobody saw. A 30-foot sheer wall made out of coral. Oh, you gotta be fucking kidding. <laughs> for some reason, that was not in any aerial recon. It wasn't on any maps. It was giant. Also, how, how do you miss a 30 foot coral wall? Real talk. It had been hollowed out and turned into a fortification. And oh, worse than that. that, because nobody knew it was there, nobody had anything to climb over it. 
inside the wall, the Japanese had dug themselves in behind was effectively a maze of tunnels. And their uh, their gun points, their firing ports were only so large to point out the end of a barrel. So shooting back at them was virtually impossible. Uh, the Marines end up calling right. this position the point. And it probably killed more Marines than anything else on the island. Jesus, fuck. Now, this went on for a very long time. People knew that like we cannot advance unless we take the point. But we can't take the point because we can't get around it. Um, this was solved by pure luck. Uh, sure. Pure luck and one private with one hell of a grenade shot. Now, the oh, point wow. central position housed a 25 millimeter gun. And like everything else is seated so that it was really hard to get anything in there like you're not going to shoot through the coral um airstrikes it were not accurate enough you know it's 1944 there's a laser guided bombs here um they had already survived hours of bombardment you're not getting through this natural barrier uh someone known only as corporal anderson fired a rifle grenade oh oh yes yes i remember doing that yes yes i did do that (laughs) <laughs> yeah, that there was it was Corporal Leo Manderson. He's a Highlander. Yeah, he never uh, dies. Uh, back in, back in. Yeah, I. Uh, it was a weird time for me, actually. <laughs> Just Wolverine, but without any <laughs> of the powers. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. The grenade hit the barrel of the twenty-five millimeter cannon, bounced off the rim of the firing port, circled around like a basketball, and then landed inside, blowing up and killing everybody. I did that. <laughs> As an extra bonus, the grenade blast detonated the grenade blast detonated the 25 millimeter ammunition, which then spread throughout the entire point, blowing out dozens of other firing po- uh, ports and buying the Marines enough time to actually flank around and take the point. So this one corporal with a Jesus me, shot from a hand it was grenade. Me, it was me. Yes, yes, I remember it now. It's not fair because occasionally there'll be people from history that have like normal last names like Anderson or Horton or uh, whatever people that work on this show. They're like, oh, isn't it? you're never going to hear like, oh, historical Kasabian. No, it's not a thing. <laughs> Unless oh. it's Nancy Kasabian. We're not related. Oh, Joe. Yeah, it's fine. It's fine. I'm not, I'm, I'm, I'm not sad. But yeah, Jesus shot with a hand grenade takes out the front line defense. That That has to be the most amount of people a hand grenade has ever killed. Yeah. Also, can you imagine that just like nailing that shot, like not even having time to admire your handiwork? I mean, um, uh, that, but also imagine firing a hand grenade, something that if you've never seen a real hand grenade go off, they're quite disappointing. Yeah. Not, not very cool at all. And then after you do that, like a whole fucking fortification explodes. You're just like, I meant to do that. That's what I was trying to do. <laughs> Yo, take it up drag for your cigarettes. You're like, you yeah, get the next one too. Fucking nailed it. However, taking the point, uh, put that unit that did it, Company K, out ahead of everybody else as the sun began to set. Uh oh. Soon the Japanese would be flinging themselves against the point, trying desperately to retake it and keep the Marines on the beach. Company K was stranded out and fighting them alone. Nobody could get out to them, and it stayed that way for 30 hours. Oh, like that. By the time the sun came up, Company K's 235 men had been reduced to 78, only 18 of whom were unwounded. But the point held. At the end of the first day, the Marines had managed to hold on to a whole whopping thin two-mile stretch of beach and absolutely nothing else. Uh, Probably several hundred people are dead by now. Now, by day two, the Marine center push had finally got to the island's prize, the airfield. The entire way, the Marines had uh, rented dugouts, pillboxes, and tunnel entrances. In a lot of cases, they would walk by an area, thinking it was secure, only for a hundred Japanese soldiers to pop out from some unknown cave and like attack them from behind. There was another enemy sneaking around uh, on both sides, though we know specifically on the American side, and they were losing this fight quite, quite thoroughly. The heat. Peleliu was a tropical island with temperatures that quickly shot up to 115 degrees in the shade. Nope. And enough You can have me. You can have me, man. I ain't doing that. And don't forget the humidity that was like 90%. Right. You are are sweating. Oh, but don't worry. The U.S. is good at one thing, right? Logistics. So, of course, there is a robust supply system in place to make sure water got to the front line. And there was. This isn't a sarcastic comment, but the U.S. forgot to supply their soldiers with water. That's what the Japanese actually did. But the Marines were resupplied with water 
after the first day. And it was delivered in repurposed oil drums that had had oil in them. So they mm. could not drink the water. <laughs> oh, that fucking brilliant, boys. Well done. Yeah, you, you, you can't do that. Uh, so uh, during, I think it's like the first four days, <laughs> nobody has water. Oh, God. It may have actually been longer than the four days. It's it's a problem that that, that lingers. Uh, yeah, United States the United States military hates water. Ask the Navy. Yeah, yeah. God, yeah, they do. Uh, now, by the time they had fought their way to the airfield, the Marines were mostly half dead from heat exhaustion and heat stroke if they haven't been killed yeah, by one of the yeah. thousands of bullets filling the air. Sure. And you know, as they limped up to the edge of the airfield, they hoped that the Japanese may have fallen back, but they certainly did not. As they got to the edge, thousands of Japanese soldiers charged across the airfield. And this wasn't some like mindless bonsai charge. This was men and tanks with, supported by oh, motor no. fire. So thankfully for the Marines, Japanese tanks were not really much of a threat. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah you could just sort of toss a, you know, toss a rock or something. It'll probably stop it dead. You could poke your fingers at the side like uh, paper mache. <laughs> <laughs> These were Type 95 Hago tanks. If you've never seen one in person, they are tiny. Oh, dear <sighs> God, are they small. Oh, yeah, they, they're real small. They're no armor, very small weapons. Uh, and the Marines are supported by uh, M4A2 Shermans, and not to mention uh, all of the artillery you could ever want. Um, and yeah, obviously, there's a lot of criticism of Shermans. Most of it is actually not that based in history and people, I don't know. However, Sherman is going to beat a Hago. 10 times out of 10. I don't know a tank that the Hago would defeat. Uh, it, might, it might beat a horse. I'm not sure. Um, <laughs> uh, it, it would be able to fuck up a Bob Semple tank uh, or maybe the... Uh, <laughs> I, I, I even like the, uh, the, 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 the bulldozer, the, the, the apocalypse bulldozer guy from California. He might be able to take out a Hago tank with kill his fucking tank. Yeah, yeah. yeah, the killdozer guy. Um, so as soon as that happened, the, the Japanese charge was broken because, uh, you know, Artillery and tanks will do that. Um, and uh, it, But after that, it was the Marines' turn. I mean, they had to charge across the open airfield. It's literally the only thing you can do. It's an open airfield. So the Marines took off across the airfield as well, all under sniper motor and machine gun fire. And it, the advance was awful. Um, uh, there was the only cover in the airfield is like blown up planes, uh, which are not cover because airplanes are notoriously thin and lightweight because they have to be. Uh, so it, it was real bad, but the Marines eventually succeeded leading, uh, leaving what had to be thousands of dead bodies across the airfield, uh, for both sides, just intertwined at that point. Um, somehow this is one of the few overt Marine, uh, vict victories in the first two days of the, of the battle. And honestly, it's probably the last one. The, the rest of this is just grinding siege. Misery, right. Yeah. Um, by day three, the Marines had already suffered 1,236 casualties. Remember, by now, they should have taken the whole island, according to old Rupertus. So, and they had not. Oh, and then it gets worse. It began to rain. <laughs> now, this sounds like no it might thanks. be a relief. Yeah, this, uh, this sounds like this might be a relief. It's really hot. It's awfully humid. Rain sounds like it'd be... Not to mention, they don't have fucking water, right? They're like, oh, thank God, we finally have, like, moisture. However... Oh, boy. It's like 120 degrees. They're in a jungle. When the when the uh, when the water hits the like the jungle floor, it just turns to steam. It, they they got a surprise yeah. steam bath, which no thank you. Is not a, a nice fit. Like it's miserable. No thank you. You know, men began dropping from heat exhaustion and stroke to the point that frontline units that hadn't been mangled by the Japanese still found themselves losing a lot of their strength. And a, a couple of people, of course, drink the tainted oil water out of desperation, mm -hmm. which is a really good way to shit out the majority of your insides. Oh, yeah. If you, if you feel like you're dehydrated now, just wait until you have the oil shits. <laughs> oh, God. Yeah, I used to be an oil man, by which I drank the tainted oil out there on a pillow, and uh, now, I, I don't see so good no more. <laughs> yeah, it was a rough neck. My, my <laughs> ass neck was rough. Oh, mm. <laughs> let me now, drink your butt oil. <laughs> now, Chesty Pol Polar warned General Rupertus that things were Don't not drink going the oil water. <laughs> At this point, if I was a Marine, like if I drink the oil water, I'll get to go to a hospital oh, ship. I'll get, I'll get out of here early. Yeah, I'll get the fuck off Peleliu. 
but he warned General Rupertus that things were not going good. And the general's only real orders were, quote, maintain momentum. Oh, boy. Uh, okay. Rupertus right. was under the idea that the offensive was going fine. And instead of sending in the army as reinforcements, and because he believed that Pelu was being taken, he ordered them to begin their invasion of Anguar, despite the fact that like the Marines really needed reinforcements. Rather, like and four he dudes rather left. Yeah, it's four dudes, and they're all mostly oil on the inside now. <laughs> They'll never catch me alive. Hindus <laughs> have been shot three times by the Japanese. It helps the oil get out. <laughs> All my bleeding is internal. I don't get the big deal. That's where the blood is supposed to be. It's fine. It's where it's supposed to go. Uh, remember, he didn't want to share any glo- glory with the army. Uh, and, and even then, when Angwar was secured pretty quickly and without any problem, he then refused to send them to Peleliu to reinforce the Marines. Outstanding work, dickhead. However, that still meant that the Marines on the island had to find people somewhere to fight. Uh, let me say it again. However, that meant that Marines on the island still had to find people somewhere and put them into the fight since their terrible general would not. To do that soon, anybody who wasn't already dead or dying from heat stroke, oil consumption, or bullet wounds was pressed into <laughs> frontline duty to make up for the losses. Engineers, cooks, administrative paper pushers. That's what happened to Nick, if anyone was curious. Yeah, yeah, he died on Peleliu. Uh, <laughs> they were all given a rifle and, and, and ordered like, all right, go that way. Every Marine a Rifleman, let's go, boys. <laughs> and this is my one criticism of HBO's uh, uh, episode on Peleliu uh, for the Pacific, is that they even broke segregation rules. At the, at the time, black people were not allowed to serve in combat roles, and then they were used as truck drivers, cooks, whatever. And when you know the officers like, we need you guys to, to grab a rifle and come with us, virtually all of the sports units, which are staffed mainly by black men, emptied the fuck out to volunteer to go and fight and the marines let them so it turns out you can temporarily defeat racism in the u.s military with the proper application of heat stroke and mass casualties um, <laughs> yeah that that isn't really shown in the show at all um but i mean it could have been that the two marines they used as a perspective simply didn't see it because they were low ranking that's the only thing i can think of finally the airfield was secured by september 23rd and uh, within minutes, American aircraft were landing on it uh, as pretty much as soon as all the bodies and, and wreckage got dragged out of the way. Um, however, as secure it was, it was still within easy range of Japanese guns. So each plane would only land for at minimum as long as they needed to, sometimes as few as a few seconds before taking off, circling back around and bombing targets that were so close to the airfield itself that... Uh, the bo- that the shrapnel from the bombs they dropped would then rain down on where they just took off from. Oof. Yeah. Though Marines had still yet to start climbing the Japanese positions in the mountains, which at this time had been given the lovely old-timey nickname of Bloody Nose Ridge. Oh, God. As soon as the Marines began advancing into the mountains, they entered the real expertly designed meat grinder that uh, the Japanese had prepared for them. Every inch is another bucker, dugout, or tunnel. And because of the craggy, pitted terrain, it made there was no, like, trails through these places they were simply climbing hand over like uh hand over hand to get over a lot of the stuff and sure, because sure, of, sure. and because of that it kind of eliminates the idea of like normal advancing so you just had random marines scrabbling over coral points running into japanese soldiers and having a point blank gunfight or right. a knife fight uh as they, accidentally dudes, came, right. yeah, as, as they accidentally came upon one another and then the Americans brought flamethrowers, conducting some of those horrible kind of combat anybody's probably ever has seen. Uh, on top of that, planes from the airfield are now hitting the mountains with napalm, knowing it was the only thing they had that might get into the tunnels that the Americans now fully were now fully aware of. Like, not that they knew where they all went, but they did know that like, fuck, we're running into tunnels every ten feet. Um, and bombs were not damaging them at all. The only answer that they found was to literally drop napalm at every entrance if they didn't have a flamethrower because napalm spreads very, very rapidly um, throughout the tunnel. Um, it was some of the most brutal fighting that these Marines had ever seen. And remember, many of them were Guadalcanal veterans. What? Yeah, one man said, quote, I resigned from the human race. We were no longer human beings. I fired at anything in front of me, friend or foe. I had no friends. I just wanted to kill. Oh, good. That's great. Yeah. Well yeah. done. Terrific. Good job, Marine Corps. 
No, good job, good job, MacArthur. Who I'm blaming, not MacArthur, the other guy. There's there's something uh, very wild about hearing because uh, this is something you kind of expect to hear from like a Vietnam veteran, right? Uh, just like a they resigned from the human race, right? Yeah, I can't imagine being a good Guadalcanal vet and be like, "Don't wait, it gets worse." Yeah, like I've seen everything. Uh, this cannot possibly be worse. Oh God, Keep it's worse, digging, baby. <laughs> yeah. Chesty Polar's unit was advancing in a particularly high part of the mountains, the Hill 100, which I'm sure if you knows, they're fighting over a random hill with nothing but a number on a map. There's oh, about to be some horrible it's shit. It's called a go. prelude. Uh, Captain Everett Pope, commander of uh, B Company, was leading uh, the charge up the hill. When I say company, I actually mean about 100, or sorry, about 80 people. It had originally been 242. Uh, it's just. The, the, that's, that was actually most units on this island. Most of them were like, oh, go get a company. Oh, you mean right. those 12 guys? Those guys. That's what Joe, I said. A I'll be right back. Can you pause it? Thank you. Uh, so when nobody really knew this when they were attacking Hill 100, that it was flanked by two other hills, both of which were still controlled by the Japanese, and they had uh, angles of fire on them. Oh, no. So when B Company got to the top, they found themselves in effectively in the middle of a crossfire. A shooting gallery, yeah. Yeah. But instead of retreating, Pope dug in and drew pretty much all of the intention of the Japanese in the area, which was, was his goal. It takes some of the pressure off the rest of the advance. And this went on all day. And then into the night when the sun went down, that's when the Japanese decided to, to get them the fuck off that hill. They launched unending assaults. Uh, up at Hill 100, slowly breaking the line down until it collapsed entirely into like chaos and hand-to-hand combat. At one point, a lieutenant named Francis Burke got his leg impaled by a Japanese bayonet, so he punched the guy into the face to death. Oh, okay, all right, yeah, fair enough. Yeah, another yeah, guy. Another guy named Sergeant James McCullinus uh, beat one attacker to death with his rifle until it broke in half, which I don't know how you do that. Jesus uh, Christ, man. He then picked up that guy's dead body and chucked it at another uh, attacking enemy soldier, how? knocking them both off the side of the hill. How did he? What? No, that's not real. <laughs> I mean, he did break an M1 Garand in half with another man's skull. Uh he he beat a motherfucker with another motherfucker. Uh, it, it, at some point, you do have to hand it to the Marine Corps, I guess. Yeah. By the time the sun came up, B Company was completely out of ammo. They were throwing no, rocks. Don't worry. <laughs> yeah, don't, don't worry. You have this fucking Sergeant the Hulk. <laughs> Everything's fine over here. Thanks for asking. Give me more Japanese corpses to throw at them. <laughs> uh, Sir, this is a war crime. And I said, don't worry about it, didn't I? <laughs> There's no war crime that says you cannot throw a dead body at someone. (laughs) I'm going to be honest here. I don't think the people who wrote those uh, laws thought that was going to be a thing that happened. Show me me in the Geneva Convention where it says I cannot do this. They were like at one point they were throwing rocks at them. And one guy uh, had shot a Japanese officer who had a samurai sword on his belt, picked up the sword and started slashing at them, doing his best like Tom Cruise impression. What are you supposed to do, man? You're out of ammo. You're going to roll with it at some point. Uh, Though eventually B Company did have to pull back and forfeit the hill because they only had nine men left. Uh, I, I, I believe Captain Pope was given the Medal of Honor uh, for that. Uh, I also hope that the sergeant was given, um, I don't know, some kind of human so, shot-putting so medal. Hulk. Yeah. yeah. Uh, they did end up retaking the hill two weeks later, uh, but then it was not nearly that bad. At this point, pretty much everyone in command, other than Gen- General Rupertus, I guess, knew that the invasion was, was not going to plan. So Rupertus kept telling everyone this whole thing would be over in a couple of days, no matter what they like, hey, like, why is this happening? What's going on? Rupert is like, ah, don't worry about it. Five days, five days will be fine. Another, another three days will be fine. Mm-hmm. I swear, God, I, I swear, bro. Yeah. Uh, look, I know I said five days. I really meant five weeks. <laughs> Finally, his superior, General Roy Geiger, got sick of Rupert is lying to his face and just went to Peleliu himself. Um, and what he saw was like, according to him, when the worst. Uh, uh, the the worst military operations he's ever had a part in. He's uh, he remarked that the first regiment was a regiment in name only. Uh, like there there was nobody left. It did not take him long to override Rupertus and or that the army was going to come in and reinforce the Marines on the island. 
This actually caused Rupertus to yell and scream and stomp around like an angry child uh, because apparently he lived in a completely different reality where he hadn't just fed a thousand men to a wood chipper for nothing. Uh, the U.S. Army's the U.S. Army's 81st Division, 321st Regimental Combat Team landed on Peleliu on September 23rd. Um, yeah, it was September 23rd, and the uh, the Marine First Regiment was withdrawn completely. Uh, the 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 Japanese inflicted roughly 1,600 casualties in less That's than 200 gross. hours. Some battalions of that regiment were so were worse off than others, of course, with several of them having close to like 70 to 80 percent casualty rates. Jesus, that's bad. Slowly, Geiger was to withdraw the the shattered remnants of the entire first Marine Division uh, as like, uh, you know, October went into November uh, and left the rest of the battle to the army. The Japanese were contained at this point. The Japanese were only in the mountains, like they had been contained completely to this like slowly shrinking pocket. It was like maybe a thousand square feet um, of the whole island, and they are now completely surrounded while being bombed around the clock. Of course, still refusing to quit. Now the battle, which was supposed to take five whole days, now creeped into November. The Japanese had made like a, a surprise reinforcement attempt, which is wild that even partially succeeded. 15 ships appeared on the horizon, loaded down with was conservatively estimated at like 10,000 Japanese soldiers. Jesus! I don't even have 10,000 people still laying around. And they were just like in barges. They weren't even like in protected naval ships. Yeah, they, they were loaded into tra- uh, transport barges and then just charged towards the island. Remember, like this island is ringed with hundreds of U.S. naval vessels, hundreds of warships. So they ran a shooting gallery trying to get towards the island. Only 600 soldiers made it to shore. Of the 10,000? Estimated. It might not be 10,000. Oh, wow. like 15 ships that are barges. Like You can pack okay, a lot sure, of sure. soldiers in there. Sure. And of, that, of, of how many soldiers were on those ships, only 600 made it. With the rest of them got surprise connected to Poseidon's Wi-Fi at the bottom of the ocean. <laughs> And you know, by now the battle, there was no like large scale offensives. There was no real counter offensives anymore. It turned into a siege with the Japanese tunnel system and their fortifications in the mountains. Um, and like the 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 soldiers that were there now and their commanders like kind of realized from the rather large collection of dead Marines all around them, like we probably should not assault these mountains. Instead, they slowly moved forward with bulldozers, burying Japanese soldiers alive within their positions. If that didn't work, a flamethrower generally did. And not to mention, like, the large-scale application of napalm. Uh, like, if anybody found a, a tunnel entrance, like, up ahead through scouting, whatever, that, that shit was getting firebombed, yeah. Nobody's entirely sure how many Japanese soldiers were buried within that island, and they're probably still there today. Um, uh, probably thousands uh, that were sure. buried alive by bulldozers, because, like, you know, they, some of these dugouts are big enough to house brigades so wow. they just dumped dirt into them and oh, sure. they suffocated or starved to death or died of uh, thirst or probably once the light uh, vanished from the tunnel it's just like well boys time to eat our grenades <laughs> you know all right mass suicide let's do it <laughs> yeah mass suicide on three one, two, three, mass suicide yeah <laughs> at the end of november uh the japanese commander realized that eh, it's finally over like we're done here he, he wrote, uh, our sword is broken and we finally run out of spears. He ordered his colors to be burned and then committed seppuku. And uh, the U.S. declared the battle finally over November 27th, 73 days after it began. Oh, that, that, was, a, that was a long four days, man. However, it oh, wasn't boy. actually over. There were still Japanese soldiers alive on the island until 1947. <laughs> Yeah, that sounds about right. Lieutenant Tadamichi Yamaguchi and a band of 26 soldiers appeared out of nowhere in April 1947, finally ready to surrender. (laughs) Like, they had, like, there was other holdouts. We did an episode on them a while ago. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, That was one of the first episodes I was on. Yeah, they conducted, like, uh, raids and, like, wanted to continue Mm -hmm. fighting the war. Like, nah, these guys are just hanging out in a tunnel. Like, hanging out, being dudes, being guys. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, they surrendered in 1947. So the battle, I guess, technically ended in 1947. Uh, b- about a year and a half after the war ended. <laughs> uh, oh, remember how I said this entire battle was useless? 
Yeah, it was. Uh, and nobody used that airfield to support any future attack on the Philippines or anywhere else. It wouldn't be used to support the attack on Okinawa. It was pointless. All of this is for nothing. Peleliu's high casualty rate exceeded all other amphibious operations up to that point in the Pacific War for literally no reason. Right. History's fun. Mm-hmm. That's what that I would call the, it. Uh, that is the, the, the Battle of uh, Peleliu. Um, that's, that's fun. Um, yeah. Liam, we do a thing oh, on this show out. called Questions from the Legion. No, you do uh, it. I'm going home. <laughs> I'm going to Peleliu. Um, <laughs> if you'd like to ask us a question from the Legion, donate to the show. Uh, slide into our messages on Patreon or DM us on Discord. Or, or um, and, uh, DM him on Discord. If you talk to me on Discord, I'll block you. <laughs> or get uh, several thousand of your closest friends and invade an island to deliver us a message, though neither of us live in an island at this point. Um, Today's question comes from the Patreon and it is, what is the absolute dumbest thing you admit to being pedantic about? Liam, I feel like you have something to say on this topic. Oh, yeah. Ready to go. Uh, okay. FBI is not a goddamn acronym. FBI is an initialism. Acronyms make words. Radar is an acronym. Do people, do people call it an Laser acronym? Laser is an acronym. Goddamn, like, I FBI thought everybody knew, like, FBI, CIA, NS. I thought everybody knew those were initials. No. No, people, they think think, are... people think the word acronym just means any abbreviation. Interesting. I hate that. I didn't know that. I told you. Um, I'm not sure what something is very stupid and pedantic about. There's a lot. There's a lot of episodes you won't let me write. That's because I write the episodes. <laughs> yeah, well, also, the, uh, the, one, the ones I want will never be released. That's because you, the ones that you want are just the continuous strings of active, act, like actionable threats. Yeah, Against that's public not my officials. <laughs> Nate has to Nate has to edit it. It's like me, reading baby. the fucking Unabomber's manifesto. <laughs> it's not like reading the Unabomber manifesto. Um, honestly, I don't know if I have one. I'm, I nothing really bothers me that much. Um, I, I might this might be the case where I don't have an answer for is this. There one. Any, I, is there any military stuff that pisses you off, like misconceptions? Maybe. Okay, I'll give the obvious answer. Like, not everything with tracks is a tank. A tank is an actual vehicle. An armored personnel carrier is not a tank. A self-propelled piece of artillery is not a tank. Uh, I mean, Francis has been doing this bit for fucking years where he just tags me in things. It's like a, a, a tracked vehicle with a gun on top. He's just his tank. Everybody does it. I know. It's, it, it, it doesn't bother me as much as it, it used to. It bothers him a little bit, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. It does a little bit. Now, back yeah, when I was does. in the military and I was a tank crewman, oh my God, did that infuriate me. But... Now that I'm in my mid thirties and I realize that nobody really gives a fuck, I'm fine with it. <laughs> um, Liam, plug your shows. Hey, so listen to well, there's your problem. It's a show about mil- uh, engineering disasters with slides. I you were going to say about, military disasters. I was. I was. Listen to the ten thousand losses. It's a show about sports disasters. Uh, also, Philadelphia sports. <laughs> yep. Uh, thank you everybody for listening. Listen to Liam's show. Uh, thank you for uh, uh, listening again. If you like what we do, consider supporting us on Patreon. You get all sorts of bonus stuff. Um, if you don't want to support us on Patreon, even though you should, uh, maybe leave us a review. That's free. Uh, it buy also books. helps. Uh, buy, buy my books. Uh, they're new out now. Uh, I will put the link in the show description. If you like military uh, science fiction, read it perhaps people have called it a book um leave leave us five stars on whatever podcasting thing that you use it helps us a lot with algorithms and also letting people know that they enjoy the show that's it's quite nice um and until next time uh, don't invade small islands um i don't think any of you are gonna have that problem bye no bye